about to take it back. Okay, 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 okay. Yes, guys, we are back. We are finally back with another episode, and I'm so stoked to have this guest on, man. We've got a very special guest on with us today. He's creating some awesome content on IG, growing some awesome vegetables, broccolis, all sorts of plants, man, some crazy stuff. He's an awesome, knowledgeable grower as well. He does a few workshops, and I'm super happy to have him on. They're all aimed at helping growers build their knowledge, which is just what this podcast is about, so I'm happy to have him on. We finally got on Crop King Colin. Crop King Colin, happy to have you on man how's it going good man good finally we made it had some technical difficulties but we got it figured out so yeah good to talk so true man so true that happens sometimes man like the technical difficulties the internet we're trying to shoot this since last week so guys we're just super happy to be here smash the freaking like if you're happy for us to be here finally and uh let's just kick it with with uh crop king colin and find out what's going on man now crop king the first thing that i usually ask everyone when they come on to the show is about their name Right. I, I'm always interested to find out about why people choose their Instagram name, their YouTube name, their grow name, whatever it is, man. Even if it's like a, a breeder and their genetics, they always got some crazy story behind it, man. So I'm interested to find out. Crop King Colin. Like when I heard about it, I was like, OK, he's probably the king of the crops and his name is Colin. I love it, man. So tell me about it, man. How did that come about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'd like to say I claim the title of king of crops. Uh, it kind of worked out that way. So, uh, <laughs> so Crop King Inc. is a company that I've been doing consultation for for quite a while. They build greenhouses and I actually hired them to build my greenhouse many years ago. Oh, nice. And so Crop King, like I said, I do consultation to them. Crop King Colin kind of had a nice ring to it. And so okay. we stuck with that. And, and so, yeah, some people from the vegetable side know Crop King and then yeah. – Kind of on the other side, it's more of a king of crops, but I'll, I'll claim the one. <laughs> yeah, dude, like I've been following you for quite some time, man. And I honestly thought like in the early days, uh, there was this, there's a breeder by the name of Crop King, uh, uh, Crop King or something, something along those lines. Yeah, like, King I King. thought that you, yeah, that's what it is. And I thought that you guys were like similar related, maybe the same person. So I was like, okay, let me follow this guy. And then as I started to like see more and more, I realized, okay, this is a different operation completely. And I need to find out more about what's going on here. It's more of like a wider scale sort of operation. And seems to be great so that's why i thought maybe i should bring you on man what do you say yeah yeah no absolutely we got i got confused a lot with crop king seeds and sometimes good sometimes bad i think they've changed their names and done a few things since but yeah no affiliation there and we we can claim we were crop king before they were crop king so but they're a canadian company so it's kind of yeah. I got you, man. I got you. Well, that's pretty interesting, man. So tell me a little bit about Crop King and a, a bit about the consultations, man. How does that go? How has that been? Good, good. Yeah. So, I mean, originally I started mostly research-based. I've worked with a lot of universities and stuff. And so a lot of kind of research focus on awesome. greenhouse growing, how to get you know, crops healthier, faster, working on efficiency. And with the legalization kind of coming in the last decade or so, we're really trying to fine tune how we grow the crop and how we kind of bring it to the market. Yeah. And so through that, it's been a lot of research. We've published uh, papers and we've done a lot of different things just on testing things out in our greenhouse. And so through that, you know, we get a lot of greenhouses across the country that just want a little insight on how we're doing it. Because a lot of companies that are set up in operation, they don't really have the time or the funds to dedicate to research. They don't want to so take true. that risk 
error. So we yeah. take the error on our hands and then teach them what we learned. So it's worked out really good. We've had a lot of really good customers that appreciate kind of what we're doing and then we keep it going. Amazing, man. So when it comes to like the that sort of line of work and the consults and stuff, is it uh, is it like only limited to commercial growers that you give this sort of advice and stuff to? Or is it also craft growers, home growers and that sort of stuff? Like how far does it range? Yeah, I mean, all, all over the spectrum. We, you know, we deal with 40 acre facilities and then down wow. to the single home grower. And so and that's kind of what my Instagram page is based on is. Yeah. Even, you know, I give a lot of information out for free and following from the early years. There's a lot of info that I'm just giving out there. And, and I think consultations, especially, you know, in this scene is kind of gets a bad rep. So I always say, you know, I'm a grower first. So I operate 5,000 square foot greenhouse. Always a grower first, always will be. First and foremost. Um, But the more I learn, the more I want to share that knowledge out there. So so yeah, it's you know we help everybody from whether it's an email or somebody shoots me an Instagram message, or you know some of our paid consultation. And, you know we offer everywhere yeah. in between because you you figure the small growers eventually turn into the commercial growers. So if we so can get true. them path early on, that's kind of the idea. Yeah, amazing man. That's like really taking it a step up because a lot of people like I'm just so fascinated by it, man. A lot of people really tend to like keep their information. They've got their way of of growing. They want everyone to know they're the best grower, but they don't want to share how they do it. So what you're doing is not only commendable, but guys, he honestly shares so much information on his Instagram. I've learned so many things about so many different things. Like I didn't even know it was possible. So I'm gonna put links to all his Instagram and stuff down below. Definitely give him a follow. You won't regret it. He's got over. 20,000 followers on Instagram. So he's definitely doing something, right, guys? <laughs> now, mm-hmm. honestly, um, Colin, just tell me, like, before we, we move on to the medicinal plants, like, I've seen you also grow some other plants. You grow vegetables and lettuce and all sorts of stuff, man. So how long have you actually been growing? Because you said you're a grower first, and that really intrigued me because I was pretty similar. So how long did you, how long have you been growing, and how did you get into growing, man? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been growing since... I think it was 1999. I put my first wow. plant, and you know, and that's that was still in my teen years then. Amazing, bro! Decades kind of taste, yeah. And then so from then, you know, I worked in a lot of hydroponic shops, and as I got older, and and I, and I kind of got to the point where these the retail guys would come in and sell me stuff, and I always felt like the salesmen knew more than me, and I'm like, <laughs> no, I never liked that, and so I ended up going off to college and kind of getting a degree in this. I wanted to know more, and, and so. During college, I did a lot of research in lettuce, tomatoes, and all that stuff. And I went to college in Arizona at Tucson. And I was born and raised in Colorado. I wanted to get back here. And at that time, hops and the beer industry was booming. You know, oh, yeah. So I, I dove into growing hops in a greenhouse. And wow. so we had a commercial hydroponic hop operation. And so I did that for a while. And the market kind of fizzled on the craft beer scene. Yeah. And that's when I teamed up with uh, CSU, Colorado State University. We did a lot of trials on hemp early on. Okay. And then we did tomatoes and all, you know, a bunch of different crops in the greenhouse. And then when 2018 came with the legalization of hemp, yeah. that we you know, focused on that a little bit more. And, and then I've kind of been doing that exclusively for the last five, six years now. Yeah. So you know, a little bit of everything in between, and and it, it's fun. Just kind of they all grow the same, but they obviously yeah. all have their own post-harvest and pre-processing, and, and there's differences and the challenges between each crop is 
is fun. Wow, dude, that's amazing, man. Like, I can't believe you like grows that in depth, like even with that craft bear industry and like growing the hops on such a scale. That's amazing, bro. I've never grown hops in my life. I thought I was a grower. I was like, yeah, I'm a grower first as well. Hearing this guy's story, I'm like, okay, maybe uh, you're, you're not that much of a grower. <laughs> that's interesting, man. So like even going to the University of Arizona, man, congratulations on that props. Um, like how, how was that like, just learning about things from that sort of angle. You know, it was great because, you know, being a basement grower prior to that, and, you know, I managed a bunch of hydroponic retail shops. Yeah. I felt like I was, you know, on the top of my game. I was like, I think a lot of growers, there's a lot of ego and pride. Yeah. You know, I was 21 years old and thinking I was doing the best in the world. And, and <laughs> but I, I lacked the expertise on the larger scale. I wanted to know, like, yeah. how can I do this bigger? When, when it's legalized, I'm trying to foreshadow in the future. Yeah. When it's legal, can I do this with 100 plants or 300 plants? Yeah. So I knew in order to get that, I had to have the experience at some of these bigger greenhouses. So I had to go beyond, you know, knowing the plant and switch to knowing climate, you yeah. know, how to control yeah. a greenhouse. How to, and so the only place really to get that, in my mind at the time, was, was to go to college and learn that. And so yeah. I noticed it, and I googled, you know, best college for hydroponic degree. Yeah. And U of A, University of Arizona, popped up. I think there was a small one in Maryland. So I was like, well, let's, let's go to the desert. And yeah. So it was great. And I got that was the first hands-on experience. Wow. Worked in a, you know, four thousand square foot greenhouse. I managed that for a few years. I really learned how to make nutrients. I yeah. learned the science behind it and how the plants grow and how they work. And so then I can adapt that to the knowledge of you know the other plants that I grew and kind of combined them and that's kind of brought me to where i'm at wow. now so i'm grateful for both sides of it you know knowing yeah. that the underground scene then having that background of knowledge to kind of back that up yeah that's some and that's some serious knowledge man so i gotta ask like when you were at that university was it, it it wasn't only based on medicinal plants was it It was more based on a wider spectrum of plants so you really got like a wide base of knowledge yeah absolutely and you know our main the main focus there is usually lettuce. We grew tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers because okay. they're gearing towards. And so this was, you know, 10, 15, some years ago. So they yeah. were gearing. Cannabis really wasn't in the scene. Yeah. So they're looking at lettuce and tomatoes and horticulture. But okay. like I said, the real thing was learning the science, like the chemistry behind yeah. it, how to build my own nutrients and yeah. how to properly use different pesticides and safely, you know, manage climate and, and so that was the stuff that I was really just soaking up and spending all my time. You know, the classes were great, but spending yeah. all my time in those greenhouses and just kind of soaking up that hands-on experience yeah. really kind of helped propel me to get into a greenhouse and, you know, run it myself. I think I lost your audio on that one. For some reason I can't hear you anymore. Oh, are you hearing me now? There we go, yeah. 
sorry about that, man. I guess we had a little bit of an, an issue there, guys. Don't worry. That happens all the time, guys, especially like because we always have that issue. But I was just asking, man, uh, you have a lot of knowledge when it comes to growing and stuff. So I was just wondering, like, a lot of growers always ask on the channel about uh, cover crops. And indoor growers always ask uh, about cover crops, whether they should do it, what's the right size pot, you know, if it makes sense, uh, when they should start it. So having the experience that you do, what do you think about cover crops when it comes to medicinal plants indoors? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I mean, I'm mostly a hydroponic grower. And so for hydro, you know, obviously, we're not going to mix that in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but from the outside, you know, we have, we have 50 acres on the farm here that we do Ooh. outdoor trials and plots and field crops and so in an outdoor setting soil setting there's definitely use and valid reasons to put yeah. cover in and and you know for a lot of that is sustainability of soil drift and just bringing some of that nitrogen back into the soil for sure you know for if you you know when you're talking about a cover crop on indoor plant that you know is going to have three four month life cycle yeah there's not a whole lot of benefit unless you're doing these long raised beds that you're kind of turning all the time. But if you're doing containers, like I've seen guys doing cover crops and containers and there's no real benefit there. Cause a lot of you know, nitrogen fixing and stuff that's going to kind of reestablish and bring those nutrients back. That's happening longer than four months. Yeah. So you're going to kind of move it and replace it. And, and as a guy coming from hydro, I always want to keep things, clean, precise. I want to know everything that's going in. I want to be in kind of full control. Yeah. And, and so once you introduce all these other things, it takes a lot more skill, you know, and I always say, yeah. you know, like organic guys that will make these amendments, there's, there's an art to that for sure. Cause you're, yeah. you're working with a lot of different things. Whereas with hydro, it's, it's more of a direct science where yeah. it's, we know the inputs, we know the outputs. And so it's easier to control. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't specifically don't have a lot of experience with doing cover crops indoors and containers. I have seen it work well. Um, but from a standpoint of what's going on in the plant, to me, it just adds more elements of error and without the benefits, you. you know, there initially. Yeah, I got you. Makes a lot of sense. And like that seems to be a, a recurring theme. A lot of the girls who come on, they grow in hydro. They say they love that control. They love the cleanliness. They love the fact that they just know what's going in. They know their inputs and they know their outputs. So that seems like a real recurring theme, man. Um, but before we unpack that, really, I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned greenhouse growing a bit. And it seems that you're quite versed in the greenhouse growing. So just for those who don't know what greenhouse growing really is, how does that differ from just regular outdoor growing or even indoor growing? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a nice middle ground. So we have more control than we, than soil growers, obviously, or outdoor growers, yeah. uh, but we have less control than the indoor guys. And so the benefits is we can keep things like pests at bay a little bit. We obviously don't so, have to deal with hail and all the weather that the outdoor yeah. guys have. We can keep a cleaner crop, but we do have to be able to manage a crop in wider you know, climate. So the indoor guys have it pretty easy. They can flip a switch, you know, yeah. 70 degrees or humidity is right there. It's the ideal environment to grow an amazing plant. So, so greenhouse growers have a little bit more of a challenge because we have wide temp swings, you know, like right now in Colorado, I guess everywhere in the country right now, we have hundred degree days outside. And so the greenhouse yeah. does its best to keep up, but you know, we get temps 85, you know, sometimes the low nineties on really bad days. Yeah. And so you have to be able to swing with that. You have to be able to track your plants and 
And then likewise, in the wintertime, we get some pretty low dips. So, you know, we could be into the 40s at night. And so it's managing these wide swings and these huge dips in humidity. And so as a grower, you got to be a little bit more prepared. And you be, you got to know your plant a little bit better. Yeah. We don't have it yeah. as easy. Here's the dreams. <laughs> you know, enjoy your life, walk away. Yeah. You have to be a little more involved. And But then the, the upside to that is our our power bill, our efficiency is, is a lot better than these indoor guys. You know, we don't like, yeah. so with my greenhouse, we don't have lighting. We don't have AC. We don't have, you know, all these things that add expense oh. and we don't have the amount of labor. And so there, there's always a trade-off, you know, we, we also, it's harder for us to produce that hundred percent, one percent, you know, top quality, yeah. but we can produce a really good quality at you know a third or a fourth of the cost and yeah. so that's kind of to us but then also that down the cost to the consumer and then so it, when you talk about efficiency and sustainability we're not going you know i think we did a we did a data run a while back that in in our whole entire summer crop we use as much energy as an indoor facility your average size indoor facility uses in about a week wow. so there's there's a lot of pros and cons, and, and I think the community right now really favors top quality. It seems to be all everybody wants, and and of course there's you know there's room for that. But I always say you know it's like as a car dealership, if you just showed up the lot and all it has Ferraris, they're going to be missing out on a lot of people. Yeah, so for sure, you know, and so there's that that fine line of uh, let's do this sustainably, let's do it efficiently, let's yeah. still focus on quality, right? Let's still yeah. have you know, the terpenes and the, the frost and let's have everything they want, a clean crop, right? No pesticide, yeah. no mold. Let's provide that. And, you know, let's kind of hit this top three quarter quality market. And, you know, and you talk to dispensary guys or dispensary owners, that seems to be the price level that sells out the fastest. Yeah. So True. despite I think what a lot of people say, it's a popular market. It is. Um, but it's hard for a grower to say, you know, I, I focus on sustainability and efficiency when everyone else is like, you know, oh, my like, quality and, and yeah. not to say I'm focused quality. I'm really proud of the flowers we put out. And you know, we've had some award winning yeah. flowers. Yeah. Um, but it's the sustainability that we really focus on, the efficiency yeah. and how well we can do it. No, I understand that man and I fully appreciate and I actually quite quite like that man because sustainability is really key to me as well and like quite a few guests i've had on have mentioned that as well so just having that again as like a running theme is awesome man so i'm glad to hear that like sustainability is so big for you and it's absolutely true like there is a huge market still for that that category of flower like yes people want the top shelf but sometimes the top shelf isn't always like attainable for some people you know so like if you're just a notch below, nothing is wrong with that, you know. And and if I'm being completely honest, man, just the the, the greenhouse method, the growing in a greenhouse, uh, you you pointed out so many different things there. You're able to like utilize the sun. You don't have any grow lights or anything in there. You can cut down a lot on your electric costs and your energy costs. Um, but how do you manage like your environmental control? So how would you get that heat down, or how would you get that coldness uh, out of there? Like how how do you deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. So our cooling is done. It's, it's basically like a giant swamp cooler. So it's evaporative Ooh. cooling. So in the back of our greenhouse, we've got a big, what we call a wet wall. It's wow, basically, dude. <laughs> and then the fans will pull the air through that kind of dripping wall. Yeah. And so, you know, we're able to get things pretty cool. And, and so wow. in the summertime, I put shade over the greenhouse. So we're yeah. blocking some of that excess sun yeah because in the greenhouse we get plenty of light light yeah. is never yeah. never so with us. So it's, it's good for us to block some of that light out we lose some of that heat 
Yeah. Um, but then we still right get now it's super, super hot, right? Like you were saying earlier, like it's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, like over 40 degrees Celsius. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, you know, we're able to keep a 20 degree drop below outside temperature. And really, we're just using a single water pump to yeah. do that. And wow. so, you know, cost on that, especially compared to like an air conditioning setup, is, yeah. is nothing, you know, maybe 10 bucks a month. Wow. So it's it, it give or take. And, and then again, as a grower, you get a, you're dealing with those higher temperatures, not only working in there all the time, yeah. um, but the plants, you have to treat them a little differently because they're yeah. going to the things. And, you know, and the nice thing about medicinal plants is the stress creates higher potency, you know, and a lot of people know this, but yeah. you put the plants under a little bit of stress, they create higher cannabinoids, they create yes. more of what we want. And so it's this regulated stress that really creates a, better crop and so some of our plants really come out with really yeah. high levels of cannabinoids and terpenes and that's because they've you know they've lived a tougher life they've, yeah. they've had to deal with some of these extremes and so <laughs> they're bred for that and so you know there's, there's something to say about a really nice climate controlled plant um but it doesn't produce to its maximum potential because it doesn't really have to it's yeah. just kind of yeah, that's a that's an awesome point, dude. I really like that point. Like a lot of people will not even like really pick up on that, but like a lot of the 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 techniques that people do to increase these levels of like potency, terpenes, cannabinoids, and stuff, it involves minor stresses. And like just by doing that, it'll definitely increase uh, those those effects, those flavors, and those profiles. So you're actually inherently, you know, increasing the quality of your flower. You're competing with all those top shelf flowers in the greenhouse, and you don't even know it, you know. So great man that's that's freaking awesome and i was right. think i was actually thinking i learned so much from your page guys i keep saying this so you guys need to check out his instagram man check out his instagram check out everything he's doing over there uh you learn a lot but in that greenhouse you use a lot of what i have never heard before and that's called uh beto buckets um so can you can you just break that down for the viewers exactly what that is uh, i'm gonna try to yeah. pull it up on screen just to show them but it's really really interesting man so let's hear it from the the man himself yeah, definitely. Let me pop my AC off real quick. A little loud. Here. Sure thing. But guys, let me pull these beta buckets up real quick uh, because this is something that is crazy, man. Um, I'm going to just pull it up right now and show you guys. Yeah, so these are the beta buckets here, right? Yeah, and actually, I think in the next day I'm trying to get a video up, kind of explain in depth on my, on my Instagram about it. So, uh, you know, essentially, the beta bucket, beta is the brand name and they're called dutch buckets okay. kind of popularly um but they're they've been used in vegetable production and large-scale greenhouses for decades um they're really efficient at kind of large-scale production and so the thing that and they're usually mostly for hydroponic use in the way that they work okay and so in the bottom of these buckets they're 11 liter square kind of rectangular square um plastic buckets yeah. but they have this reservoir that they always maintain at the bottom and so Inside the bucket, there's this little elbow that goes from the bottom of the reservoir to a lip about an inch and a half up. Yeah. And so that's the big thing that kind of makes them a functional piece of equipment as opposed to just a pot or something. Ooh, and so okay. what that does, it always keeps that reservoir there at the bottom. And so with hydroponics, you don't really want to dry back. The soil, you know, you always talk about dry backs. Yeah. Um, with hydroponics, you kind of want a constant saturated media of oxygen, water, yeah. nutrients. And so with this little reservoir at the bottom of each of these pots, it allows the plants to kind of soak up, use capillary action when they need to, and always regulate their own moisture content. So it really provides this nice buffer 
when you're growing a lot of plants, you can kind of dial in your waterings and then the plant, if you have a couple plants acting differently, they'll kind of regulate within themselves. Wow. And so and every time you water, it pushes out the nutrients, brings in this fresh little reservoir. So that's a main kind of functional thing that these uh, buckets are good for. Yeah. Um, but another thing that a lot of growers really like is their ability to drain. So mm -hmm. as you can see in the picture there, we have them lined up just on a inch and a half drain pipe. Yeah. And so they, they rest on there. There's only one little spout that drains from these buckets. So you just put that spout on your drain pipe Amazing. and then you can put all your runoff away. And so you yeah. don't have to worry about flood tables or figuring out how you're going to catch all your draining. You can just line it up. And so that's really slick. A lot of growers wow. like the ability to do that. And yeah. being a square, you could pack them in. You know, right yeah. now we've run about 450 plants in this greenhouse. But we've had we've had 2,000 in there in the past. Wow! Wow! So that square profile, you could pack them in there. Yeah. Um, but you know, 2,000 that was a lot. We had 250 plants per row, eight rows. That was that was a jungle. Wow, dude, that's amazing! Like these beta buckets, those are crazy. I've I seen uh, you do so many different things with them, so that's why I was like, okay, I've got to ask him like more about it because it's super interesting. I didn't even know that they they the 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 intricacies run so deeply, man. Like the draining technology, the, the I, I just thought they were like some square cool buckets. You know, uh, they're probably good for DWC. I didn't know how they worked, but I see you got pearlite and stuff in there as well. So um, can you tell me a little bit about the perlite? Yeah, so so while we grow in 100% perlite, so wow. that's all we put in the pot. Um, and so there's a few reasons for that. I like perlite because it's inert, so it doesn't have any nutrients. It's not bringing anything yeah. to the table. You know, kind of like I was saying earlier, I like everything to be precise. I want to know what sure. in, what's going out. Yeah. For perlite, it doesn't bring anything. It's just there to hold oxygen, yeah. hold water, let the roots grow. And, and it holds, compared to a lot of other mediums, it holds a lot of water, holds a lot of oxygen. So it's perfect to kind of, you know, water as frequently as we want. And so, you know, you look at things like cocoa core, which is getting pretty popular or has been pretty popular for a while now. You know, cocoa core holds a lot more water. Um, it brings a lot to the table. It's got, depending on where you're sourcing it from, you know, it's got potassium, sodium. Yeah. It's got a lot of different things in it. It's harder to source in a large quantity than perlite is. Yeah, um, and then cocoa breaks down over time, and so with certain crops that aren't as long of a life, that's not as big of a deal. Um, but back when I was growing hops, hops are a perennial, so they, you know, I'll plant them and they'll be in that same pot for four years, and so eventually, cocoa core will break down. You know, the lignin will kind of fall apart, and yeah. you'll just be left with this kind of compost. And so perlite will never break down; it'll stay there. Um, you yeah. can clean it and sanitize it and reuse it if you want, but it's really a nice buffer. So if you overwater, perlite dries out fairly quick. So yeah, if you have a mistake with your pump, you can fix it. So it, it's really forgiving um, for growers and it's it's really accessible. So, you know, we, we deal with a lot of growers, you know, all over, all over the country, but all over the world as well. So there's certain places where growers don't have access to rock wool or cocoa core or some of these things that, yeah. you know, we're we're lucky to have in the States. And so, so perlite is, is one of those things that's, it's a little bit more accessible on a larger scale and, you know, the plants dig it and it's, it's just something that I've learned to work with, but with beta buckets, you can grow, you know, you can do a 50, 50 mix. You can, we actually have one row in our greenhouse now where we're doing a perlite base layer and then rock wool blocks on the top. Just kind of see how those react under the same watering. 
So there's, there's a lot of, and you know, I know some guys that use soil in the beta bucket. That's not ideal just of the way that that reservoir sits on the bottom. You got to be careful okay. there. But, but yeah, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Really interesting, man. Really, That's really neat, really interesting. So thanks for sharing some of that knowledge on the beta buckets and even on the perlite as well, man, because I'm a huge fan of perlite. I use it a lot and I don't see as many growers uh, just having like, you know, their plants, just ha having perlite mainly as what you see in their plants. And that's something I noticed quickly straight off the bat with you. Like a lot of your plants, even your seedlings, you sort them off in perlite like this one here right now. Um, but like, I guess that's, I guess my computer is just uh, taking its time on that one. <laughs> but like this one, or even all your seedlings, man, you start them off in these little uh, pots of perlite. So perlite is something that I, I really love as well. And one of the Gromies uh, have recently put me on to something called pumice. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there was, there's a lot of different variations of that. I think a while ago, I think Growstones had a similar version. Yeah, you know, and the thing with hydroponic medium, it, it doesn't have to be anything special. Like, you know, guys, we, I've worked with farms. I've used crushed concrete, you know, it's anything that can kind of hold water and hold air. I think packaging peanuts be used yeah. or hydrogen, you know, was really popular yeah. for a while. So, so yeah, a lot of these things work. And so beyond what works and this comes into, you know, my big thing is being efficient, being sustainable. Cause I want yeah. farmers to be successful. You know, we, as the market comes down, they've got to look at, at their bottom line and say, all right, what's the most efficient thing? Not only for, you know, sustainability of the environment and what they're doing, but it's got to make them, you know, a profit. They want to keep them, I want to keep them in a job. And so things like pumice, and there's a lot of good alternatives and, and arguably some of them may work better than perlite, but it's the cost, it's the ability to get it, you know, on a larger scale if you're growing, you know, yeah. So those are something you always want to factor in. So, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, this mix works better than 100% perlite. And I 100% agree there, you know, it may very well, but you got to look at it from a, a larger picture yeah. say, well, okay, maybe, you know, I get 10% better growth, maybe, but it's costing me. You know, I can only get it certain times of the year or, or things like that. And so you always got to look at that. Kind of what's working out for you. So true, man. You raise a great point there as well, because sometimes certain things just aren't accessible. For me, perlite is really easily accessible. You can get that at Home Depot. You would know that. You can get it like anywhere, dude. Um, but like even when it comes to the hydroton, hydroton is just I've come to realize it's a little bit more pricey. Um, and it seems like the price is getting up and up and up each time I look at it. So um, those are all factors that you want to consider. So um, thank you for that, man. So guys, just smash the like for Crop King, the, the big homie Crop King, Colin. He's dropping some great information so far. And we're going to go straight on to the Know Your Bud segments, guy, uh, guys. Um, Crop King, Colin, thank you so much for, for dropping some information so far. But this segment is a little bit different. There's no right or wrong answer. It's all about you. It's straight off the bat, so I didn't tell you about it before. Um, but I just want to find out, like, about you. I call everyone that comes onto the show my bud, um, and I want to know what they do with their buds. So let's just get straight on into it, okay? There, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, like I said. You just pick which one and tell me why. Okay, yeah. so first off, when it comes to germination, paper towel method, glass of water method, or uh, straight into the soil or whatever your medium is, I guess, method. Straight straight into the soil or the plug or whatever. Yeah. Always. Okay. Absolutely. 
I got you. Um, that, that's probably self-explanatory now because you go into DWC, so I guess that, that makes things a little bit easier. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Feminized or regs? What's your preference? Feminized all the way. Oh, man. I guess that, that also makes sense, but I got to ask why, because I think I suspect why, but I want to find out why. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I run seeds on scale, so I plant 600 seeds yeah. at a time. I put them directly into the greenhouse. Yeah. So I don't have time to sift through males, <laughs> yeah. deal with all of that. Yeah. You know, and the science behind feminization, I think there's a lot of stigmas that, oh, it produces hermaphrodites, it does this and that. And, you know, and that's not true. I've been running yeah. feminized seeds for seven, eight years now on a large scale. I've never had any of those issues. And and so for me, it's a no-brainer, you yeah. know, and unless you're going to be doing some pheno hunting where you have a small breeding project you want to do, then for sure, you know, do some regs and let's get those males. And I've done that a lot. I've collected male pollen yeah. donor. But yeah. if you're growing at scale, you know, find a genetic company that does it well and feminized all the way that, you know, saves you the headache. Yeah, I, I actually suspected that was why. Because you're growing on such scale, you just don't want to be sifting through for males and risking anything, man. So it makes sense. makes sense. You're a smart guy. <laughs> uh, now, this next question I got to ask. I know the answer already, I think, but I still got to ask it for the people. So... Hydro or soil? What's your preference? <laughs> Hydro. Hydro. You know, it, I, you know, I do both. Like I said, we've got acreage here. We do outdoor crops. It, yeah. And if you're looking at efficiency, sustainability, maximizing plant growth, you know, hydroponics all yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, you know, and doing hemp fiber crops and things for like paper and and CBD isolate, outdoor soil. You know, and yeah. so so it's depending on the situation I'll, I'll choose one or the other but but hydro all the way if you're going to be indoors you just got that better control and you can really you know what you're doing you're in control yeah, ship for sure. where you want it to go so absolutely so, so i gotta ask like i have i've just tampered with uh dwc recently man but are the the yields and the growth is it really that much uh more robust and faster than just growing in soil yeah, I mean, so with what we do here specifically, you know, we're not necessarily DWC. We're, I guess, soilless because we run drip systems. We have yeah. dripping methods that just go in. Okay. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can really speed up plant growth in a hydroponic system. You figure you're eliminating all the variables. So when you're in soil, the plant has to work a lot harder. And then this kind of goes back to, you know, a lot of people will say organics taste better, right? Like organics always has that flavor. And, and whether that can be, you know, proven or not, whether that's just subjective. But I think there there is one theory there that I have with organics is they are stressed. They're going through more work. So it yeah. gets back to that thing I was saying earlier, a stressed plant produces higher terpenes, more cannabinoids. Because yeah. you figure like an organic plant in soil, it has to break the it has to use microbes, it has to create symbiotic relationships to create that food. you you know, you're giving it a block of manure or or whatever you're giving it. Yeah. It's got to work for that. Whereas in hydro we're just saying, here you go, here's the element, you know, because at the end of the day, the plants will consume 17 elements. They don't care where it came from. They're consuming 17 elements and, you know, mostly in a cation form, they're taking those up. So in hydro, we're just giving them those 17 elements. So they don't have to waste their time doing anything else other than grow. And so because of that, you always will get, you know, faster growth. And it's, you know, it's maybe, I don't know, 10, 15%. It's not hugely noticeable, yeah. but, but absolutely. You know, if there was going to be a race, 
of a guy on his Hydra game, <laughs> soil game, I'd put my money on the Hydra guy. <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that analogy, dude. I like that analogy. That probably clarifies it a lot. Okay, um, next question is photo periods or out of flowers? It, photo periods. You know, and again, there's always – every situation is different. And, and actually, I'm in between. So I, I like to run semi-autos. So most of my plants are all semi-autos. So they're Ooh. photo period plants with a – autoflower parent usually autoflower father and so what that does is creates the ability for me and we did a a research paper on this a couple years back so i I get the benefit of a photo period where they can grow indefinitely but they have that autoflower gene in the back that they'll flower just regardless of light so for a greenhouse guy like me i can grow them for as long as they want i don't have that short veg as an autoflower does but they still have that back gene that says I'm going to flower automatically. So I can flower a plant with more than 12 hours of light. And so when you're dealing with natural sunlight and you don't have light depth, I can, I can grow whenever I want without light depth, without changing light. So, so semi-autos are becoming pretty popular. And that's, that's I guess, my I'm mind blown, dude. I've I've, ne- I've never heard of that before. Semi-autos, I've never heard of that before. Uh, unless you're talking about uh, stuff that we shouldn't be talking about on this channel. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, I've never heard of that before. I've heard of, like, fast-flowering strains. So I've grown, like, a Canuck Seeds, uh, Black black Amnesia Haze. It was a fast-flowering strain. Uh, went from flower... From, it just flowered super fast. Let's just put it that yeah. way. But the, the, the I still had to change the light cycle. That's what I'm getting at. So this is completely new to me, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, you know, for greenhouse growers, it's, it's hugely helpful because we don't need light depth. So again, anything to eliminate expenses and give me full freedom to grow whenever I want. So I can grow year round. Don't have to worry about the sun. I don't have to worry about pulling light depth tarps. Yeah. I'll grow let the plants do their thing. That is amazing. So true. Cause like in the growing greenhouse, you got to cover up all the light at some point if you want to do the photos. That's so smart, dude. Like I never expected that answer when I asked this question. I'm so happy I asked it. <laughs> oh man, big ups, man, big ups. Um, let's go on to the next question. Hopefully, you've got a fantastic result as well. But I think I may know the answer. But synthetic or organic? What's your preference? Synthetic, you know, and again, it ties into the hydro yeah, with synthet- sure. synthetic. It's like I said, 17 elements is all you need. Yeah. Given that, and it's kind of an efficient process. Yeah. In the field, I do a little differently. You know, I work organics in there because in the field, you're working with the environment. Yeah, so you can so kind of help feed the plant, feed the soil. Um, yeah. But in hydro, just give it the straight salts it needs. And then I can have full control over that. So I make my own nutrients from scratch. So I can manipulate anything. And, you know, when you have that full control, you have the ability or the confidence to know when your flower goes to market. You know, I know exactly what is it. I didn't buy a bottle that somebody mixed up with dyes or, or fillers. I, yeah. you know, I mixed the raw salts. I put them in there. I know that this is safe and I can tweak my recipe anytime I want. I can take a leaf tissue analysis. I can say, hey, I'm low on magnesium. Add that to my next round. So, again, it gives me full control, full power, and it's yeah. cheap. You know, I'm running nutrients at about two cents a gallon. So, nutrient uh, cost and it's top quality stuff. 
Yeah. Now you touched on a few different things there, man. I just want to unpack that really quickly. So the, the plants, they just need certain key macro and micronutrients. They don't know where they're getting it from. They just know they need it and they want it and they need it. So it doesn't matter about the fancy labels and stickers on all the bottles. You don't need like 450 bottles of nutrients. That's not necessary. And I actually also noticed that you mentioned you mix your own mineral uh, based fertilizers. I actually did see that you got like a huge tub that you were mixing it in and you said you only use two natural colors, right? Blue and like copper sort of yellow and all the other elements are colorless. So many, <clears throat> many uh, companies are like add dyes and stuff to distinguish their products and stuff. But like, can you just give us a little bit of an insight into how you mix your stuff? I don't want any, no secrets have to be given away, but just give us a little bit of an insight into how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get my secrets away quite a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. so again, you know, it's the, it's those 17 elements that the plant needs. And yeah. so you can buy compound salts. A lot of those elements will come in compounds like magnesium sulfate, which yeah. is just absolute salt. So there's your magnesium, there's your sulfur. Yeah. Calcium nitrate is our main one that we use that gives us our calcium and our nitrogen. And so then there's a little math that goes involved when you're, when you're creating that recipe, okay. it's got to balance everything. So yeah. obviously if you want, you know, hundred parts per million of nitrogen that's coming with the calcium. So you balance it a little bit and, you know, you do some math and that, that takes a little time to figure out. Yeah. Um, but it's not rocket science. You, you, you know, you spend a couple of days learning how that works and then you can make your own nutrients. And so from there, we just order the raw salts, you know, the same salts that all these other nutrient manufacturers are using yeah. and we make it. And so, you know, there's a lot of nutrient companies out there that are making pretty good money and it's just nutrients, right? There's no special sauce in any of these nutrient lines out there. It's just nutrients. And so yeah. some of them will add dyes to distinguish them. You know, you'll get your reds and greens and blues. And 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 then some of them will add some different fillers. And yeah. you know, a lot of companies, like some of the more popular ones, they want you to run high ECs. So there's a lot of marketing to get you to buy their stuff. But at the end of the day, it's salt-based nutrients that if you're buying the raw salts, it's about two cents a gallon. And, yeah. you know, and there's a reason I always say there's a reason there's like this medicinal plant line of nutrients. And there's a reason those nutrients aren't selling at Home Depot or to your local gardener. Yeah. Cause they tend to know better, right? They're not going to yeah. say, you look at the price tag and be like, well, this is. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, that's really what we, but, and so we've always pushed, you know, at Crop King and myself, I've pushed for a long time to tell guys, make your own recipe, you know, make your own nutrients. But that's, you know, that's kind of daunting for some people. And so within the last year, we packaged our own, but we just put the, we measure the salts, we put it in a bag, and then, you know, you mix it at the calcium nitrate. Yeah. So we, we took the step away from weighing and, and doing the math. So for people that want to go that route, we did create that and so it's it's the cheapest line out there it's what i use now yeah and but we're always going to say hey you know learn your new especially if you're going to do this on a commercial scale obviously a guy you know growing in his closet isn't going to buy a 50 pound bag of calcium nitrate and be yeah. mixing it that's a little excessive you know and yeah. for that there's obviously good options for that yeah but yeah you know and i always say keep it simple keep it efficient and nutrients is one of those key points that just keep it keep it simple and efficient Hell yeah, dude. That's amazing, amazing knowledge. I love that knowledge, man. So, so just great. Um, but let's let's move on to the other question on the Know Your Butt segment. We got wet trim or dry trim. How do you feel about that? 
Right, absolutely. I've been that in the past. Not, not a big fan of it. Um, He's like, no, 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 no. Dry definitely gets you where you want to be quicker. And you know, the biggest thing with trimming wet is once you trim them, you got to lay them somewhere, and then they always get that flat butt. You know, and the screens and. I've done, you know, trimming has definitely been one of the biggest challenges on a commercial scale of how to do it effectively, how to dry effectively. I mean, when you're dealing with 400 pounds coming down at once, so you've got to be able to do this in an efficient manner. And, and, you know, machines trim wet better, but you, and, and, you know, you lose less trichomes when you're going through a wet trim. Okay. They're not as brittle. They don't fall off. They stick more. Yeah. But it's, it's that you know, final kind of resting stage, they get flat. And then, and then the flavor and the terpene just takes so long to kind of come into their own when you do a yeah. wet trim. Yeah. And I don't know what the cause of that is, whether it's, you know, the chlorophyll leafing too soon and then you get too fast of a dry, but yeah, but yeah, wet trim all the way. That's a very polite way of putting it. You know, uh, the terpenes and stuff take a longer way to come out. That's, uh, that's a, a very polite way of putting it. I find it smells <laughs> like freaking chlorophyll, dude. It smells like yeah. fat. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, uh, I'm 100%, dude. I, I'm, I'm preference. My preference is dry trim. But next question is bong or joint? What's your preference? How do you do things? Bong, water pipes. Nice. Yeah, again, like all my answers are gonna have like. There's always a time and place for everything, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But no right or wrong answer. answer. <laughs> True. Yeah. So just the cool. I mean, joints are convenient, yeah. right? You can take them on the go, fire them up wherever. Um, but the bong is a ritualistic thing behind that. You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's a session. Yeah, it know? really is. And like, um, like actually, it's like. Back in the day, some of the the homies back where I used to live used to call it like a chalice. You know, you got to light up your chalice. <laughs> yep. Yeah, same thing, man. Now, the next question is edibles or vapes? Vapes. Yeah. Yeah. Edibles sneak up on you, man. I've, <laughs> I've tried hard to have a good relationship with edibles. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the guy that's – I feel nothing or I literally feel nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> It goes to both sides real quick. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. I either feel nothing or I feel nothing. <laughs> I like that one, man. Oh, fucking hell, dude. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, that was a great session, man. I think it really helped me and all the viewers get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and that's what it's all about, man. So thank you so much for that. But let's just move on to the rest of the, the, the segment, man. So um, you mentioned earlier, a little bit earlier on CBD isolate shatter. And I've seen that on your Instagram as well. And that's not something that I've seen on a lot of uh, people's Instagram in general, just shatter in general. So can you tell us a little bit about it for those who don't know what is shatter and um, what is isolate shatter mean exactly? Yeah. Yes. So isolate is going to be just the isolated CBD compound. Yeah. And so our shatter, it's just like concentrates. So our, our shatter technically isn't isolate. We'll have some of them will mix isolate to keep compliancy. Um, but our, you know, our hemp derived concentrate products are just as, you know, the other medicinal plants are. So we have the different consistencies on how we extract it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've got, butters which are more of you know the smooth consistency that yeah. will make cbg isolate in there to give you some of this entourage effect and 
And, you know, I think a lot of what these more potent flowers nowadays, and I think a lot of people say, well, it doesn't hit me the same. Like a 30% doesn't hit me like, a, you know, it used to be. Yeah. I think a lot of that's nostalgia and also tolerance of people. But I think there is something to the fact of, you know, the entourage effect is changing. That, like sure. plants now are bred without pretty much any other cannabinoids. It's, it's, it's pretty THC heavy, yeah. not a lot of miners. Yeah. And so with a lot of these products... You know, and I always recommend blend like a lot of these CBD flowers, blend them with yeah. with the THC flowers. And so so with the concentrates, mix them with the dabs that you're doing yeah. and you'll find this just much calmer, kind of more yeah. balanced and more, you know, Full just a better And so so a lot of ours is, you know, we work, work with a lot of companies uh, to create some BHO extractions. We tend to work with a lot of BHO. Um, we do some CO2 extractions yeah. and then. And then a lot of it is kind of mixing some of our miners. So we'll, we'll do, like I said, we do CBG isolate mixes. Um, we've got some CBD isolates that we'll mix with kind of our, our butters. And we have a batter, which is kind of like a sap consistency. Yeah. Um, and then we have the straight kind of honey oil type things. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of this product innovation in with these mining markets, and we stay away from like the Delta 8s and the HHCs and yeah. all of the kind of, uh, flavor of the week we kind of just stick with with the tried and true ones yeah. um but yeah i mean there's a lot to be said about bringing uh, some of that back into it and and so unless current cannabis breeders or thc breeders are going to start breeding those cannabinoids in you can bring them in you know through another source and so that's yeah. where a lot, of, a lot of our customers really kind of appreciate that ability to kind of mix and match their own creations I love that. Very, very nice, man. Very nice. Because a lot of people are moving towards like just trying to get a better understanding of concentrates in general, you know, the shatter, the waxes, the butters, all that sort of stuff. So any little bit that um, we can try to help them out, I always just try to bring some of that information for them. So that's why I figured, you know, that's something I definitely wanted to ask you. But that being said, there was also something else that I wanted to ask you, which is um, I see you had a dope Instagram post where you mentioned that Every new strain that you guys have, it literally gets run through like a simple distillation setup on the farm. And that like the resulting terpenes basically are cataloged and stored for like current or future assessment of aroma and all sorts of stuff. So that's like some next level stuff to me, bro. Like just tell me a little bit about that. Uh, just just break it down for us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something we got started, you know, doing research, university research where you catalog it. And, you know, yeah. taking data is, is so important. Like there's a lot of, yeah. you know, you can learn through experience, but you got to write that stuff down. You're not going to remember, you know, four years ago, remember that plant that smelled great. Well, you got to be able to have something more tangible than, you know, my buddy thought it smelled <laughs> and yeah. I thought it smelled like apples. And so, yeah, what we do, we set up a, a small kind of hydro distillation setup. It's a wow. short pass distillation. And, you know, and these are pretty simple. You could, I think get a complete set on Amazon for like three, 400 bucks. It's sure. pretty, it's a pretty simple setup. Yeah. And, and so every, every flower we get, we'll run through there. So we'll pull off terpenes. And so we'll take those terpenes, we'll store them, we'll seal them up, you know, and then we store some in the deep freezer and then we store some at room temperature. And, and then we'll do the same thing with plant matter. So we'll, we'll freeze plant matter, both dry and wet. And we'll keep a sample of that in a freezer. And so then we can always pull back on it. Now, obviously, yeah. it's going to change a little bit, you know, but we can compare them to each other. And, yeah. and so obviously, you know, a terpene that was stored two years ago isn't going to be an exact representation of what it was. Yeah. But we can compare that to 
some other strains and we can really get a better idea. And then we can send it to the lab, see how it's degraded, see what kind of chemical spikes are in there. And then it gives us a little more data behind what we're doing. And we can really kind of use that data to say, all right, this is something cool. Let's, let's keep a male of that. Let's try and breed that over. Yeah. Or we may learn, you know, this certain strain doesn't like to be stored in, in these kind of certain environments. And, and it's also cool, right? Like to have yeah. this catalog that you could pull out amazing. of all the different strains you've grown over the decades. And yeah. it's, it's a cool catalog. For sure. Yeah. And then you can look back and be like, okay, this one had a grape. This one had a citrusy. This one had a, a rotten apple mixed with the gas. This one is propane. And then if you really, really want to go back there and sort of be like, okay, I want to cross this strain because of that specific smell with this one, then you can really get in there and like mix and match and really create something amazing. I never Absolutely. thought of that. Crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of things, there's this biotransformation of terpenes when you age them and yeah. And it's, you know, coming from growing hops, it was a really big deal in hops where you would, some brewers wanted an aged hop because it, it turned into different compounds that yeah. they liked, you know, and you look at wine aging and whiskey aging, there's some things that get better with time. Yeah. Um, I think medicinal plants, at least specifically the one we're working with now, they don't really think that, you know, they want that freshness because you do, you lose some things, but you get some CBN transformations, but all of that creates a different plant that maybe isn't bad it's it's yeah. different so you yeah. get these more kind of subtle you know nuanced flavors that you don't get otherwise and with the cbn conversion you get a more balanced entourage effect so instead of tossing it aside and saying oh this is old bud it's different bud yeah. and uh, it's there for somebody somebody's Amazing. digging this yeah so, so we do a lot of storage trials and and we'll pull it out and we'll say all right how is this compared to what it was two months ago or two years ago when we graph it we kind of see this spike of like it was really good and then it kind of dipped but then it came back and now it's yeah. it's something different and wow. you know and a lot of that goes into how you grow and so again back to when i was growing hops cascade was a really popular strain that a lot of brewers would grow but the way i grew it and the way i kind of harvested and cured it was so much different than other people's cascade okay. that it was throwing brewers recipes off like they were buying my throwing it into their recipe <laughs> and the beer won't even taste the same. Yeah. So, it would be different. So there's all of this. Yeah. You can really manipulate and, and that happens. You, know, you see that now you get some guys that say, Oh, well my ice cream cake didn't taste like theirs. And yeah. it could be a different strain. It could be, you know, mixed genetics, but it could very well be how he grew it, how he yeah. stored it. And so there's a lot of that going on. And, and I think we should take advantage of that, figure out what's going on with yeah. it and, maybe tweak it and you know maybe aged bud is going to be something you'll see uh, on show, you know? yeah that's crazy bro oh my god like i i again i asked this question i never expected that response like i'm so happy i asked it i'm sure a lot of the viewers are as well so smash the like if you are but um i've got another question for you dude um it's actually on the bud rot because a lot of growers are facing bud rot and i know that you as a greenhouse grower you're outdoors um, I know that you may not have like rain hitting your plants directly, but you did mention you have an outdoor operation as well. So for all those growers who suffer from bud rot, either indoors or outdoors, uh, what would you say to them? If you had to tell them how to, to, how to watch out for it and how to prevent it, what would you say to them? Top and prune. That's the biggest thing. You know, we, we've dealt with bud rot quite a bit. Yeah. And it's, it's always going to hit those, those big bullas. And okay. you know, you think because you can control climate as much as you want. Yeah. You know, you can have dry fans on it all the time. You could do all this stuff, 
But if you think of a cola that's, you know, this big, some of these big fatties, you know, there yeah. was this post I did, I think it was like a year or so ago, you know, I got a quarter million views because it was this huge fat cola. <laughs> yeah. But the inside of that was not good. Like it was impressive and, you know, it got the views and stuff. But when you're dealing with something that big, you got to think there's a microclimate inside of that. Yeah. But inside of that is 100% humidity all the time. It doesn't matter if you're in an oven, it's 100%. There's nothing you can do to prevent that. So, I mean, as far as climate or, or you yeah. can spray stuff on, you can do all you want. But inside of that bud is 100% humidity. Yeah. And so you're going to get disease, and so especially if you have a hotter climate, and there's a lot of things that contribute to it. Um, so the biggest thing is don't grow those big buds. So yeah. top your plant, top them early, get five smaller buds instead of one big fat cola. Yeah. You know, it, that's what we've been doing, and we haven't experienced butter on that scale yet. We oh, don't nice. need to have as big, awesome, impressive colas anymore. But yeah. it's, it's one way of kind of managing that. And, and some yeah. strains are known to – pack on bigger colas yeah. to top them a couple times, spread them out. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, airflow and all that kind of stuff, keep your temps yeah. a little bit lower and, and stuff like that, but, but topping. Yeah. Fantastic point. That's one that I actually don't hear a lot of people mention because you're so right. I've grown big fat buds and they take a lot longer for that moisture to pull out. Sometimes it doesn't even get out there and you think it's dry. You've cured it up. It's been drying for a while. You cure it up. And when you actually start to break it apart, you realize like actually there's stuff in here that shouldn't be in here. You know, um, what's going on in there? Well, that's a great point, man. So guys, if you didn't know, now, you know, don't always look for those huge, huge, huge buds. <laughs> right. Right. So true. But um, I've also noticed, man, you got like on your smaller field plots, like outdoors. I'm not sure if this is indoors as well, but you guys usually have like uh, a beneficial bugs out there, you know, predator insects and stuff helping you guys out when it comes to the um, pest management. So you don't have to use any harsh pesticides, insecticides and stuff, just like this, uh, this little ladybug. But you guys have also got praying mantis and stuff on on deck. So, like, tell me a little bit about that, man. How did you get them in there? How did you build that population? Um, just tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. So we use beneficial insects a lot, you know. And and again, one of my bragging points as a grower is we try not to ever use pesticides. Sometimes you have to to keep up on things. But yeah. so, like with this last crop we pulled down, we didn't spray a single plant at all with anything. So, you know, no additives, no pesticides, yeah. nothing. And, and again, that just creates a safer product, which is always kind of our goal. And yeah. so with these beneficials, you know, things like ladybugs and praying mantises, they're, they're helpful. Um, they're, they're good. They take good pictures. They're very photo worthy, but the real workers are micros little microscopic bugs. So we use like Encarcia formosa as a parasitic wasp. And I mean, you think wasp with a big wasp, but these are tiny, tiny, like pinhead size wasps. We buy those from a company that they rear them and they, they sell them BioBest, Copert. There's a lot of companies out there that do this. Yeah. And so we release them by the thousands. And so and so the cool thing about this parasitic wasp, it's like a little horror movie, but they'll actually go out. So with, with aphids particularly, they'll land on top of an aphid because they're that small. <laughs> then they'll inject their babies into the aphid. Yeah, and the the aphids will kind of die from the inside, what they call a mummified aphid, and then out of that comes new wasps. And so you know, we always I always call it biological warfare. Bad guys. Yeah, and it, they do the work for us. So you keep the good guys happy. And so we have a lot of like for spider mites, we have a lot of whirly gig mites. They're they're about two times bigger than a spider mite, and they run around, they do their thing, 
and and so it definitely, especially in the summertime, the wintertime it's easier because we have less pest pressure. But but in the summertime, we really rely on them to do a lot of the work. And um, you know, lace wings, we use lace wings quite a bit. They're pretty effective at getting in there and taking out some of the bigger bigger pests. Yeah. So it's managing that, and then and then also you know you got to be weary of of using those too much because it kind of defeats the purpose when you're trying to get rid of bugs by putting bugs on your plant, yeah. you know, right. We don't, there's, yeah, there's a good picture of a lace wing there. And so we stop adding beneficials, you know, about the second or third week of flower because okay. with medicinal plants being so sticky, they'll grab onto stuff. For and sure. so the consumer, you know, they don't want spider mites on their buds, but they also don't want lace wings or, <laughs> you know, anything else. They don't want bugs period. And so it's a fine balance in, and scouting is the number one thing. You know, we I scout my plants every single day. You know, I'm walking up the rows, yeah, checking every yeah. leaf. If you can catch them early, you can get rid of stuff pretty yeah. quick. So it's just getting in there and, and making sure you got a clean crop. And and the way I do my plant spacing, I mean, everything I do is with a purpose. Like the plants are spaced out. You know, a lot of guys will see pictures and like, oh, those plants are so far out. You could pack them in. It's like I, I could, but you're losing your ability to control you know, pests, you can't get in there and inspect every leaf, yeah. you know, with these big packed in canopies, they're kind of just hoping for the best. If they get a breakout, it, you know, and so they have to spray pests. So they have to do all these things to prevent that. Whereas I've got some leeway, yeah. you know, if I get a, an infestation showing up, I'm going to be on it within a day, I'll get rid of it. And, and so a lot of times my best practice of getting rid of pests is just removing leaves. Like if I see a couple spider mites show up on a bottom of a couple of leaves on a couple of plants, I'd prune those plants really good, get rid of them all, get it out of the greenhouse. And that's usually enough to stop it from spreading. Yeah, but if you miss that, it takes over, then you got to spray. And, and so, yeah. And so the bugs are a big, big part of what I use to help me combat that. Awesome. That's amazing, man. I've never actually heard of the lace wings. Um, so huge shout out to you on that one. I've had Sink Angel. He's like a bug expert on and he, uh, he walked yeah. us through quite a few different things as well. But that one is a great point, man. So thank you for that. Um, and it's so true because I brought in ladybugs to help with my um, my fungus gnat infestation. And um, just really got to manage them, especially if you bring them indoors. You got to make a home for them. You, a lot of them will just die. and You got to be cleaning up dead bugs a lot. And that's not ideal. And someone actually commented on my video and said, like, I would never do that because I don't want ladybug poop all over my flowers. <laughs> you know, so. A lot of people, they definitely don't want some of that stuff on their plants. <laughs> oh, man. But before we close things off, man, I wanted I, I got to ask you two final questions, man. There's well, The first one is about some of those MLB hemp baseball bats that you were rocking, man. Some huge stalks, plants with some <laughs> massive stalks, man. Uh, it was only grown in perlite, which we did mention earlier as well. Um, it looked so bad. It looked like you had to use a, a sword, like a, a huge sword to cut it down, man. Like, how did that plant get so big? Like, tell us a little bit about that, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, and that's like some of the ones I was talking about were, yeah, just, just monsters. Monsters, and, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of that natural sunlight, you know, they're getting full spectrum. Like, lighting has come a long ways, but it'll never replace the sun in, so in terms of intensity, in terms of full spectrum, and then also in terms of angle. You know, right with the sun, you're getting that full set. So our yeah. plants are getting hit all degrees, and so you combine that with the nutrients, just dialing that in perfectly, and you get these these monster plants. And and I run a long veg, you know, because I have more space, so I run some pretty big plants. Yeah. Um. And then working with good genetics, I think some of those were 
Thomas from High Alpine Genetics. He runs some pretty pretty wild stuff. Um, yeah, so we were just getting these these monster, and in some of them, man, they were going like 13, 14 weeks into flower, and they just kept still stacking, still adding white hairs, and so I, I was just letting them ride, and, and yeah, they were huge. Um, but again, we've learned to kind of stay away from some of those big ones because we yeah. tend to get into some other issues with with rot and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's it, it, keeping it simple is is what I always kind of say, and some of those are proof that. You know, we never add any additives, you know, you know, zero nutrient additives, just the base yeah. salts we use. And we never spray anything crazy. You know, we, we never kind of get on a lot of these these kind of high products. We just give it what it needs. And, and they, man, they, they grow, they grow up and do well. So, Amazing. yeah, a lot of those were, were big. Yeah, that was a big girl. I saw that and I was like, damn, he had to use like a machete or something to cut that down. Like, like you can't just use a regular pruners or trimmers to cut that. Like, I was like, crazy. Yeah, a lot of people bring in the sawzall and, you know. <laughs> yeah, sawzall. <laughs> like, that's the level we're talking about. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy, man. But speaking of crazy, I've also seen that um, you can't help but see on your Instagram. Guys, check out his freaking Instagram. But you've got a bunch of crazy, funky mutations going on like multicolored leaves leaves with white on there some frosty frosty frost monsters some super crazy phenotypes so just like tell me how do these come about like is it down to the genetics is it temperature drops like is it some sort of bro science like just tell us about it yeah so i mean a lot of that is is like i said i'm always growing from seed yeah and so i mean we've got some clones in the greenhouse now but i'm always growing from seed so when you grow from seed depending on where you're getting your genetics from you could get, you know, who knows, right? There could be so many different phenotypes. And so a lot of um, our phenotypic drift where you'll just see different variations, but then also the scale I'm growing, you know, some of them, you know, six, 700 seeds at a time, yeah. we're bound to see something weird. And so we get a lot of these genetic mutations that, you know, we've had some that are just single blade leaves going up and, yeah. and just a lot of these weird mutations. You get the fascination kind of mixing in there and, and so that kind of stuff is just a pure genetic mutation. You know, yeah. that's nothing we've done. That's just kind of how the plant's gotten to where it is. Um, but then a lot of like the coloring that you see towards the end of a lot of my harvest with that, that slow fade and the dark purples and the yellows, that's purposely done. You know, we pull nutrients back, kind of not necessarily a flush. A lot of people think of a flush as just hitting them with a bunch of water for a couple of days. We do a slow breakdown of our nutrients. So we, we taper our nutrients off slowly over the last few weeks. And so, the plant is kind of cannibalizing its own pigments yeah. within the leaves and then mix that with temperature and, you know, low angle of the sun at certain seasons, you really get these, these lush purples and all those cool colors uh, that I always love seeing come harvest. Yeah. And then it comes this nice kind of terpene transformation. So and true. So, so yeah, it's a combination of some, some of its mutation, some of it's purposely done, but, but mostly just comes down to when you're popping that many seeds, you're going to see some some cool stuff yeah it's true i guess it's true but like i honestly was just captivated like the flowers that i see on your page oh man just chef's kiss beautiful man beautiful so i i really do implore everyone to check out his uh his page see what he's going on over there um and um i think we've we've covered everything man we've touched on a lot of different things we've touched on the crazy phenotypes the beta buckets greenhouse growing um favorite styles of germination we had a dope know your bud segment and you've dropped a lot of dope information man so for all the growers that want to find you um where can they find you i did notice uh i think on your instagram you had neverwinter botanicals uh, as a link in your bio 
Um, is that something you're affiliated with? Is, is that yours? Like, just tell us, tell us what you need to tell us, man. Yeah. So, so the main IG page is Crop King Colin. That's where most of my info goes and stuff. You're looking for so, and then Neverwinter Botanicals is the company that we sell a lot of our flower. A lot of the hemp-based products are, are going through there. Okay. Um, so, if you're interested in some of the flowers or some of the CBD products that we're going, yeah, you can you can check us out there. We've nice. got an Instagram, smaller Instagram page there that's more kind of product driven. Okay, okay. Yeah. And I think you've also got the Crop King Inc. Uh, Instagram page as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So then the Crop King side of it is, you know, if you're, we we sell everything from greenhouses to the beta buckets to nutrients. Nice. So, we, so we're kind of an all inclusive. It's like a hydro store mixed with a large stone commercial. So we can set up your basement grow or we can build you a 500 acre glass greenhouse. Yeah. So, so check us out there. And especially if you're interested in those beta buckets, you know, we have a lot of pre-built like tin pot systems that you could throw, you know, you can throw those in a tent or something and give them yeah. a try. Um, and then consultation, we, we do all that kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah check them out. For sure, guys. For sure. As you guys can see, super knowledgeable. Colin is a knowledgeable, knowledgeable, hell of a knowledgeable guy. So if you guys want to check him out for some consults, I highly suggest you do that. Um, but I'm going to put links to all his stuff down below. Colin, thank you so, so much for coming on, man. Thank you for taking the time. It was an awesome chat. You dropped a lot of knowledge on here for all the Gromies. And um, it's a, been a pleasure, man. Hopefully I can have you on again sometime. And we'll, you know, I'll stay in touch with you, brother. Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was a good time. Most definitely, dude. Most definitely. Well, I'm going to stay in touch. I'm going to actually hit you up right after this stream, so don't go anywhere, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay in touch, dude.